We love Christmas songs. Any Christmas songs that you particularly love out there? Oh, Holy Night is one of the best ones ever, I think, personally. Um, Last Christmas is one of the worst songs in the history of mankind, period. Um, If you love Last Christmas, I'm sorry I just offended you. I really am. Just not much of a fan. What were some other things that we said out there? Celebration. It's just a time for cheer and celebration. Uh, We love the lights. We love presents. Peppermint Bark. Any Peppermint Bark fans out there? Okay, I was really hoping it wouldn't just be me. And so I'm glad we have like three other people who love peppermint bark out there. Hallmark Christmas movies, like 40 days of it, right? Where for some reason, anyone who goes to a Vermont town and is single ends up with a spouse by the end of the movie, right? Like, I wrote this as a side note, but like those small towns of Vermont have the highest per capita rate of attractive single people in the United States. <laughs> like, there's just something about those movies. But yeah, we, we love Hallmark feel-good Christmas movies, and those are all true, right? But may, maybe is there a deeper reason why I think just for some reason people, even if they are not Christians, even if they don't believe that the Son of God came, is there a reason we love Christmas? And I think there's actually a deeper reason that we all do. I think it's because we know deep down that this world isn't the way it should be. That there's something off, there's something wrong, and there's something about Christmas that can speak light into that and can fix whatever is wrong. And to me, a song that captures it so well, and it's not a Christmas song, although I think it could and should be, and we may or may not be singing it here in just a bit, comes from Andrew Peterson. It's a song called, Is He Worthy? And I want us to read the um, opening lines together. In fact, we're going to kind of do a call and response. The way this song is sung, and we're going to sing it in a while, I'll just go ahead and say that, is um, I'll say a line, and then you'll kind of respond to the words that are in parentheses. And I really think these lines capture why we love Christmas. And so I'm going to read these, and when you see those words in parentheses after I say the line, just feel free, all of us out loud, to say it together. Do you feel... The world is broken. Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Yes, we do. Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? And is it good that we remind ourselves of this? I think that's why we love Christmas. It's because, yes, we do feel that the world is broken, but what we also believe and know is that God did not leave it to stay broken. Instead, God the Father sent his son Jesus into the world. And when he did that, everything changed. Uh, We Christians, for over the last 1,500 years, have really celebrated a season called Advent. Really, just in the last couple hundred years has it really taken hold and and, and come no more as Christmas. Advent, really, that word is a Latin word that means coming. And and it refers both to Jesus' first coming and to his second coming in the future. The first coming, we look back with celebration. Someone said celebration earlier. We look back with celebration. Because the message of Christmas is that, yes, darkness exists, but because Jesus has come, so does light. Yes, hate exists, but because Jesus has come, so does invincible love. Yes, despair exists, but because Jesus has come, so does hope. 
And we celebrate that, but we also anticipate his second coming because the world is not yet completely the way that it is supposed to be. And we we live kind of in this messy middle where both of those realities are true. But what we want to put the accent mark in this series as we're kind of going through the different themes of Advent. There's usually four or five different themes, and we're going to cover different ones throughout um, each week. We want to put the accent on that all the things that Jesus came to accomplish, they're available in part to us now. And so in other words, we don't have to grit our teeth and bear and wait till the long future ahead when he comes back to get to celebrate peace and love and joy. No, he came so that we can experience those in part now and fully in the future. To me, um, a text that's not about Christmas but really relates to this is um, from the Lord's Prayer. There's a line in the Lord's Prayer that says, your kingdom come, your, er- your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is the place where God's will, the way God wants things to be, is always perfectly done. But yet it's interesting. Jesus didn't say, your kingdom come, your will be done on in heaven. So get us there as soon as you can. He said, no, no, no. May it be done on earth earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, it was a staged invasion of earth by heaven. And it is coming apart. In the future, it's interesting, in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation ends, you know what? With heaven fully coming down to earth. And we do hope and long for that day, but we can experience the life of heaven here and now. In fact, I love Dallas Willard, a great book called Divine Conspiracy, said this, discipleship, I'm kind of uh, uh, paraphrasing a little bit, but basically, discipleship, learning to be a follower of Jesus and, and walk in his way, is learning to live the life of heaven now. And so in this series, what we want to do is talk about, yes, Jesus came to bring peace and love and joy, and how can we have that now? And today, we're going to focus specifically on the idea of peace, peace. So with that being said, in fact, let's just all stand. We're going to read a famous passage of Scripture together. We're going to come out of Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. We just all stand and read God's Word together as we celebrate the peace that Jesus has come to bring. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, it'll be on the screen. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord hosts, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You may be seated. Well, just a couple of brief comments, and I want us to really today answer three questions about peace, since that is the focus of our day. Is You notice that the hope in this passage is that a child would be born, this child would eventually be Jesus, but you also notice that it says the government shall be upon his shoulder. So Jesus did not just come to be admired or to be liked. He wasn't just a great teacher. The idea is that Jesus was born to rule and to reign and to have a government, to increasingly make the world world into the way he would have it to be. And again, it is in the future. You, read, you see that at the very end, forevermore, but it also says from this time forth and forevermore. And so again, you get this tension of Jesus comes and from that time on, 
He is in the process of making things as he would have them be. And one of the things that we see as a hallmark of Jesus, of his rule and reign, is the idea of peace. That Jesus came to bring peace. And as we give him rule and reign in our lives, increasingly in this world, we will get to experience the peace that he has come to bring us. Now, I want to ask three questions about peace today. And, and, and from here on out, just so you know, we're going to kind of go all throughout Scripture because peace is a pretty dominant theme in Scripture. Three questions about peace we're going to ask. Number one, what is peace? Number two, why doesn't the world and why don't we have it? And then number three, how can we have it? Well, let's just go simple first. What, what is peace? Okay, now, This is an important question, though, because if you have wrong expectations of what peace is and the peace Jesus comes to bring us, then you're going to be frustrated when you don't experience it. And so, for example, if you think the peace that Jesus is here to bring is primarily tranquility and a problem-free life, you're going to be perpetually frustrated, and you're going to think Jesus really isn't doing the greatest job as a prince of peace, right? Like right now, if you looked at the world and your sense of peace is a sense of no conflict whatsoever, if you looked at the world, you would say, man, Jesus is not doing the greatest job. But what if that's not only what peace means or the primary idea of peace? So what is peace? Peace biblically is both an objective reality and a subjective feeling. It's both. It's an objective reality and a subjective feeling. So let's talk about the objective reality first. Um, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the primary word used for peace is shalom. Shalom. You may have heard that before. You may be, someone may have even told you shalom as a, as a greeting or as a goodbye. Um, it's a loaded word, very loaded word, has a lot of different meanings. The, the essential meaning in terms of the word itself is wholeness or completeness, for something to be made whole or to complete as opposed to it being broken and fractured. Um, but there's a lot of nuances, and in fact, I thought it'd be helpful to actually put up some uh, categories up here. This guy, a guy named Glenn Schaefer, he put up the different nuances that can be a part of shalom biblically. Shalom can be his wholeness of life or body, so we already established that, so it can be your physical health. But number two, shalom can also be a right relationship or harmony between two parties of, or people, often established by a covenant. In fact, primarily in the Bible, this sense of it is between us and God. Shalom, peace, can also mean prosperity, success, or fulfillment. And shalom finally can mean victory over one's enemies or the absence of war. But what happened over time is that the more the word shalom was used, especially as you get to the latter parts of the Old Testament and into the prophets, it became a word that really pointed ahead towards one day when the world would be made right again. And everything would be as it was supposed to be. That's why Cornelius Plantinga, which, by the way, I think has the coolest name in the history of the world. Cornelius Plantinga said this, Shalom, in other words, is simply the way things are supposed to be. So when we say Jesus is the Prince of Peace, it's not just that he came to give people calmness and tranquility, although it does include that. We're going to get to the subjective feeling part here in a minute. And it doesn't mean that he just came to stop all violence and conflict, although it does include that. Really, it's the idea that when Jesus came, he came to make the world into the way it was supposed to be and to restore it to that. So peace is an objective reality. It is something that Jesus is actually in the business and in the process of increasingly wanting to do in this world. But peace is also in the Bible a subjective reality feeling. 
Because it's interesting, there's places um, in the New Testament where Jesus said you could have peace even when there was no objective peace around you. Um, John 16, 1 through 2, and then verse 33 says this. Jesus says this to his disciples. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Which I'm just, that's kind of funny. Like he just said, you know, there's going to come a day when they're going to kill you and think they're serving God by doing it. But I've said this so that you could have peace. It's kind of weird, kind of funny. But the idea here is this is like they're going to be faced with situations where they're going to be in, in persecution, where it was going to be hard around them, where it did not seem like the objective peace, shalom of God was coming to the earth. And yet he said, even in those moments, you could have peace. How? Because he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. We're going to come back to that text in a little bit, so I don't want to dive too deeply into it now. But the point is simply this. Even in the midst of conflict, Jesus says, you can have the feeling of peace. So yes, peace is an objective reality, but it's also a feeling that Jesus has come to bring us. Finally, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, classic, classic text on this. Do not be anxious, which is a feeling about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So peace, kind of summing it all up, is an objective reality Jesus is coming to bring into our lives and into the life of the world. But peace is also a subjective feeling that we can have even when the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. Okay? So that's what peace is. So what is peace? But then let's ask the question of, okay, that being said, why don't we then have peace in our world? And why do so many of us not have peace in our lives? And this is a crucial question. Because if you don't understand the problem, you're not going to give the right solution. Um, earlier this week, uh, the great thing about renting your house, I'm, we're renting right now as we're saving up money to put a down payment um, on a house here. And... Um, the great thing about renting is that when something gets broken, you don't have to fix it. Like, you don't have to spend your money and time and frustration on the problem. You just call someone else, and they get to do that for you. And so we called the uh, a repair guy because we had a drawer that was broken in our pantry, and it kept getting stuck, and I had tried to, you know, do the classic thing of just shoving it in as hard as I could, but it got to the point where it wouldn't budge, and I was, like, flying backwards in the kitchen when I would try to do it. And so we called a guy. And what he did was he disassembled the drawer, pulled it out, and he saw what the problem was. And the problem was that there were screws that had over time come out and were missing, and I couldn't see it, and I wasn't aware of it, and I didn't know how to fix it. But see, here's what the interesting thing was. I thought my problem was that the drawer wasn't going in, when the real problem was that the screws were coming out. Once we understood the right problem, the right source of the problem, we were able to actually bring the right solution to the problem, and my, my sample problem was fixed. My, my sample, my kind of shallow surface level problem, the symptom was fixed. In the same way, if we don't understand why we don't have peace in this world, we're never going to have the right solutions to it. Well, well, why don't we have peace in this world? So, some people would say, well, the problem is people just aren't kind and nice. And so if people were just a little bit kinder and a little bit nicer, we would have peace in the world, which I, I don't disagree with. I think that's true. But the problem with that answer is it doesn't give a way for people to become more kind or, or nice. And it also feels a little shallow. Like just saying that people should be kind or nicer feels like you put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound of the problems of this world, doesn't it? Right? Um, some, some people would say, hey, if people were just more educated, 
And we just had like more development. And if we as a species would just develop more, eventually peace could be real and found. The problem with that is this little thing called history of the last 200 years. Um, as we have gotten more education as people and as we have developed as societies and become technologically more advanced, all we've done is gotten better at fighting and killing each other. And we're proficient at it. It hasn't brought peace. If anything, it's brought more conflict as we've become more and more developed and technologically advanced as a people. Some would say, hey, we would have peace maybe internally because a lot of what we've been focusing on so far is maybe um, peace and a lack of it between people, but there's also a lack of peace, I think we can all admit, within ourselves, right? We all feel like something's broken or wrong in us. And so some people would say, well, the solution to that is that if you would just have higher self-esteem, if you would just think of yourself better, you would be more at peace. What's interesting about that solution is we've never had a society in human history that had more of a sense of self-esteem and yet had more anxiety and depression at the same time and had to medicate itself so much to feel better. So all the answers that the world is throwing at us to solve the problem of our lack of peace between um, nations, between each other, between our friendships and our families and within ourselves keep missing the mark, and it's because they're not identifying the root problem. I love how uh, C.S. Lewis says it. I was going to say this in a bit, but I might as well just quote it now. It's in my mind. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite quotes, human history is the long, terrible story of humanity trying to find something other than God which will make it happy. And part of being happy is living with peace. So why doesn't the world and why don't so many people have peace? Um, I thought a diagram would help. I want to give you the, the, the Christian answer um, to this problem, what we see in Scripture. But I thought a diagram would give us a good way of kind of consolidating a lot of Scripture passages together. The idea is that when God created the world, God had a design. That's in that upper left-hand circle. God had a design. And God's design was he created this perfect, harmonious, shalom-filled world that you get in Genesis 1 and 2, where God had a perfect relationship with his creative uh, humanity with Adam and Eve. They had a perfect relationship with together. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship together, and then they also had a perfect relationship with creation. Everything was harmonious and perfect, and shalom, wholeness was present, and brokenness was not present at all. But it didn't stay that way because if you go to that next drawing, sin enters into the world. God, God had basically given, in a sense, almost only one requirement for his creation, his design to work. And it's that his humanity must submit to him. He had given them one command. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam and Eve decided they did not want to submit to God's lordship. They wanted to be kings and queens themselves. And so they took of that tree and ate of the fruit. And then sin entered the world. And then when sin entered the world, brokenness followed after. This is very important to understand because, again, if we're going to address the problem of a lack of peace with a solution, we have to know the root problem. The root problem is not brokenness or a lack of peace itself. The root problem is that because we have sinned, our relationship with God has been fractured. Because our relationship with God has been fractured, brokenness has entered the world. Think, think of it this way. After Adam and Eve sin in Genesis 3, does anyone know what happens in Genesis 4? Cain kills his brother Abel. 
So a lack of peace with God then leads to a lack of peace between other people. Um, I, I love how Tim Keller says it. He says this, the natural human heart wants us to be king and so is hostile to God's claims of lordship over us. Until we see our instinctive hostility to God's authority, we can't understand one of the great deep mainsprings of all human behavior. We are committed to the idea that the only way we will be happy is if we are wholly in charge of our lives. Of course, this self-centered desire to command and control leads to conflict with other human beings. So hostilities with God lead to hostilities with others. There is no peace on earth because there is no peace with God. The primary reason this world does not have peace and the primary reason that relationships don't have peace and the primary reason we don't have peace within ourselves is because we don't have peace with God. Which means that if we are going to find peace, we must first make peace with God. Um, I, I think of it like this, even of how, because you're like, well, wait a second, that, that, you know, there have been times where peace treaties have been made. I, there have been times where peace treaties have been made. And because you're thinking, okay, it is possible to have some measure of peace without God in this world. And it is, but it's not final. And it doesn't ad address the root issue. So like I looked up, for example, um, there have been over seven, almost 1,700 peace treaties made in the last 2,000 years. <laughs> which tells you peace in a sense is possible a measure of peace is possible even apart from apart 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 i said that wrong that was funny apart from peace with god <laughs> let's just laugh at it it's okay apart from peace with god but the fact that you had to make 1800 treaties so 1700 treaties show that final full lasting peace isn't possible apart from peace with god we're putting band-aids on bullet wounds so if we're going to fix our issue of brokenness, we really have to first fix our issue of sin. And that's our final question of how can we have peace in this world? And I've already kind of begun to answer it, but I want to give three things. The first is peace with God, but I also want to give two other things today. Because you may already be in here and you've made your peace with God, and that's fantastic. But I don't want to assume you have, so I want to do go ahead and, and, and kind of keep going the directory you're going. But then I do want to give you two other ways that we can have peace with God. So the third question, how can we have peace with God? We are already kind of going there. If you put that, di that second diagram up on the screen, um, I don't want to go to the third one yet. Well, you can keep the third one up. It's fine. <laughs> Tyson, you're a quick man. You just caught it just in time. So we've established if the primary issue of why we don't have shalom, we don't have peace, we're not living God's design is because sin has entered the world and our relationship with God has been fractured and that leads to brokenness. If we're going to be restored back to God's design, we have to deal with our sin. Now, some people try to do this on their own. They try to be good enough, right? That's the idea of, like, even think about Christmas, like this sense of, okay, Christmas is a time we should all be a little nicer, be a little kinder, try harder, do better. That's one approach, but it doesn't work. It never ultimately gives us the peace that we need because it doesn't fix it and because we can't fix it ourselves. There's a second approach, and it's you have to realize that you can't ultimately fix yourself, and you can't go back to God's design on your own. Ultimately, the only way is for God to do it for you, and that's why if you go to the third drawing, that's the beauty of the gospel, is that God doesn't ask us to fix ourselves up, to unbreak ourselves, to make ourselves whole. He doesn't ask us to do enough good things to get back to his design. Instead, God did this amazing thing. 
He sent his son Jesus into the world. Now let's just think about this. Each of us has sinned. Each of us has done wrong. Each of us has a fractured relationship with God. This Jesus, a baby born in Bethlehem, grew up. And whereas you have sinned, he never sinned. He lived the perfect life you could not live. But then what's also beautiful is that he then, at the end of his life, went to a cross and he died the death that each of us deserved to die. His body was broken so that we might be healed and restored. This is the New Testament. It's also known, you know, we read from Isaiah earlier. I love this passage from Isaiah 53. Speaking of Jesus, looking ahead to Jesus, it says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. It's pretty amazing because usually when you think about it, if, if you have a conflict with someone, if you are the one who has done wrong to them, it is up to you to make it right, right? That's how we usually think of it. Whoever is the person who's done wrong in the conflict is the one who needs to take the initiative to put things to right. But the beauty of the gospel is that God took the initiative. God sent his son and Jesus on his own accord went to the cross and he initiated the reconciliation. Not us. Colossians 1, 19 through 20, speaking of Jesus, says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, including you, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. But just because Jesus died does not automatically mean, though, that we are all automatically at peace with God. It has to be something that we see, because the other problem, even if you remember, you don't have to go back to the drawing, Tyson, but the problem was sin, but it was also really the heart of it. Adam and Eve did not want to live in submission to God. And so our sin has to be dealt with. Jesus did it on the cross, but also we have to be brought back into submission to God. Well, how do we do that? We do that through faith in Jesus. Let's go back to Isaiah 9. What is Jesus called? The Prince of Peace a ruler, someone you submit to. And yet when you submit your life to Jesus, when you have faith in Jesus, you get to receive the peace, the shalom, the wholeness that you most long for. That's why Romans 5, 1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous by God, by faith, by believing in his sacrifice and submitting to Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. And this peace is objective. Remember earlier we talked about peace is objective and it's subjective. This is the objective peace that we all need and that Jesus came to bring. That right now, you in your seat right now, if you are not a believer in Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what that means is ultimately you are not at peace with God and that is the greatest problem in your life. The reason you lack peace in all the areas of your life is ultimately you do not have peace with God, and that is the source of all of your brokenness. But the beauty today, if that is you, is that Jesus made the first move to you, and he went to a cross to die for your sin and so that you could be made whole and restored and get back to God's design. 
And today you can have peace with God if you'll believe in him and submit to him. No matter what you've done, no matter how broken you are, you can have it today. And, and I just encourage you, if that's you, we, we don't usually do like altar calls down front, and not insulting those who do, but if that's you, I would encourage you, like find me, find Pete. We have other people who have like have name tags on that say staff. Don't leave today without asking us how you can do that, how you can make peace with God today. But I think it's also just a reminder of those of us in the room that already walked in having peace with God. Like right now, even if you don't feel that peace, you have perfect peace with God. You've been reconciled to him. You are his child and he loves you. But that brings us to the second thing, because I, I did say those three things. The first thing is, how do we have peace in this world? We have to first have peace with God. We've established that. But secondly, we can have the peace of God. That's where we're now coming more into the subjective feeling of peace and being able to have peace in spite of all the darkness and brokenness in this world. John 16, 33. Remember, Jesus said, I have said things, things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, listen, you are still in a world because I have not come back yet that is full of brokenness and heartache because not everyone has experienced peace with God. And because of that, brokenness is to roll. But even in the midst of that, you can have the feeling of peace in your life. I think of um, a story, I actually thought of it this morning. I'm so glad God brought it to mind. Um, John Wesley, anyone ever heard of John Wesley before? Uh, founder, one of the founders of Methodism. Um, what's interesting about John Wesley's story is he, before he was even a believer in Jesus, went on a mission trip. I used to be a student pastor. Would happen all the time that we would have students go in who actually didn't believe in Jesus yet, but was going to tell others about Jesus. So John Wesley goes to North America from Great Britain to tell um, American Indians about Jesus. Yet on the way there, what happens is a huge storm comes on the boat, and it begins rocking back and forth, and John Wesley is convinced that they are all going to drown, and he is going to die. And so he is just overcome with anxiety and just fear and trepidation, thinking he's about to stand before God, and in his heart, he is not settled that he has peace with God, but he looks over, and there's another group of people there called the Moravians, a group of missionaries. And what he noticed was even in the midst of that storm, they were at complete peace. And that was actually the thing that led him to begin wondering, what do I lack that they have? And that was peace with God. But that's not the purpose of the story. The purpose of the story was to show that when you have peace with God, you can have the peace of God, a calmness that can get you through any storm and situation in your life. Well, why? Well, think, what did Jesus say? I have overcome the world. How did Jesus overcome the world? He died on the cross, was raised from the grave so that we could be reconciled to God. He overcame sin and death. And because of that, we can overcome sin and death. And what the Bible says is when that happens, when we're reconciled with God, we become children of God. So nothing can ultimately harm us. Uh, Matthew 10, we're not going to read it because it's a pretty long passage, but it has some kind of echoes of this passage in John. And in Matthew 10, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, do not fear the people who are going to be persecuting you. They can only kill you. <laughs> Which is kind of funny, right? You're like, well, they can only kill you. Thanks, Jesus. Um, but he says this, don't fear the person who can kill you. Fear the person who can ultimately send your body and soul into hell or not, meaning God. But the beauty is if you're a believer in Jesus, you don't have to fear that anymore. Your eternal destiny is set. 
And because of you, you don't have to fear that. You don't have to fear anything in this world. Nothing ultimately has claim on you other than Jesus, which means you can go into any situation and be at peace, even if it's difficult. Because you said, even if this is hard right now, and I'm in pain, and I'm in torment, whether that's physically or relationally, I can be at peace right now because I know that I'm a child of God, that Jesus has overcome the, the, the world already. And because I'm in Jesus, so have I. I got nothing to lose. I have only everything to gain ahead of me. Um, I experienced this when I was in seminary. Um, just this tangible feeling of peace, the peace of God that I've been talking about. I was um, in a chapel service, so kind of like you are right now, um, but we had one of the seminary professors speaking. Um, over the previous few days before that chapel, I had been experiencing really sharp, intense pains in my head right here, like on this region of my forehead. It would just feel every once in a while like someone would just stab me with a knife, and like, oof, like I'd really grab my head, and I'd begun to be a little concerned. Um, as I was in the chapel, all of a sudden, the pain comes, and it will not stop it just over and over again, I feel pain in my head. I, I began to get a little concerned because um, my grandfather um, had an aneurysm. Um, other people have had cerebral hemorrhages in my family. And in that moment, I'm thinking that it might be happening to me. It didn't help, by the way, that the title of the sermon that day was called Come Home. Um, <laughs> I was like, thanks, Jesus. Appreciate the writing on the wall here. Uh, you know, so, but here's what I remember in that moment. I'm like, I literally began feeling such an, and I promise I'm not being overdramatized. By the way, I lived, obviously. Um, so, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, I, I, I'm just thinking, okay, this really might be it. So what I did was I took out a note card just in case. Um, and I just wrote a note. And I just said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Do not pity me. Why? Because even if in that moment I'd lost my life, I was going to stand face to face before God because of what Jesus had done on the cross, and I would have been embraced for eternity, and I would have been made whole for eternity. I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And that's true of all of us. If you have peace with God, you can have the peace of God because nothing can ultimately touch you now that you are God's. If you're wondering, if it's, oh, okay, because I, I want to kind of tie that ribbon so we can talk about what's left. I went and had a CAT scan. They couldn't figure anything out, but I'm okay today. So all good. Moving on to the third point. You're like, I just wanted to tie that bow because you're like, I knew that you were going to come after me. Paul, did you ever figure out what's going on? No, but it went away. So we can have peace with God. We can have the peace of God. But here's the final thing in terms of how can we have peace in the world. We can become peacemakers on behalf of God. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons. And by the way, this would also include women, so daughters of God. Tim Keller says this again. And by the way, I've got a lot of these quotes. Tim Keller, a great pastor that we at Redeemer look up to and have great, great admiration for, wrote a book on Christmas. I encourage you to go just Google it and get it. Great thing to read this Christmas season, this Advent season. He says this, Christmas means that through the grace of God and the incarnation, peace with God is available. And if you make peace with God, then you can go out and make peace with everybody else. And the more people who embrace the gospel and do that, the better off the world is. Christmas, therefore, means the increase of peace. Think back to Isaiah 9 when we read that earlier. It means the increase of peace both with God and between people across the face of the world. So, so the call of Christmas is, yes, to have peace with God, yes, to have the peace of God, but it's also, if you're a believer in Jesus, to go out and be a peacemaker on behalf of God. And remember, peace, shalom, means 
making the world more into what it is supposed to be like, and each of us can have a part of that. What does that look like? I mean, you've got huge stories. Like I wrote down a few names. A guy named John Newton, right? John Newton wrote the uh, song Amazing Grace. Um, he was a slave owner and slave trader, but then he converted to Jesus. Jesus completely changed his life, turned it upside down, and John Newton actually was a part of abolishing the slave trade in Great Britain. He became a peacemaker after he made his peace with God. Um, George Mueller uh, became a Christian, became an evangelist, but also the thing about George Mueller, which is really, really cool, is he established an orphanage in schools, and in through these schools, over 100,000 people, 100,000 kids got education they would have never gotten otherwise. So yes, he had peace with God, but then he went out into the world to bring the peace of God and with God to other people and to practically try to see the world become more the way Jesus wants it to be. Each of us in our lives, guess what? When we in our families um, embrace a culture, for example, of grace in our homes where it's okay not to be okay and we embrace each other's baggage and know that we're all works in progress, guess what? That is shalom coming into your home. When you forgive family or friends at Christmas time who harm you and you embrace them and give them a gift and say, hey, because Jesus has forgiven me, I have, have and will and do forgive you. That is shalom coming into those relationships. Isn't it amazing that not only is Jesus the Prince of Peace and his peace is going to keep increasing, we get to be a part of it. It's incredible. Now, as we're closing out, though, I didn't want to just end there. I do, I do want us to have that challenge of being peacemakers in this Christmas season. But at the same time, I think we have to go back to attention that I brought up at the beginning of the idea of Advent. Advent is a time where we do look back and we celebrate and then we respond to Jesus' first coming. And so we've given some options today. Listen, if you don't have peace with God or you don't know if you do, please talk to a staff member before you leave. If you're in the middle of a difficult situation in your life right now, I'm gonna pray the peace of God will cover you, but also know that we are here to pray with you Remember uh, Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything, but through prayer and supplication, bring your request, let them be made known to God. We would love to spend time praying with you. So maybe even right now in a few minutes during communion, you just need to spend some time praying and letting the peace of God come over you. Let's all be peacemakers, but I also want us to know at the end of the day, there is an ultimate day we're looking for that's not here yet when we are looking ahead to Jesus coming back to finally and fully bring the peace we all long for. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going I'm to pray for us, and then we're going to have a time of communion where you can respond to those things um, that I just said. But then together, we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing the song I mentioned earlier, is, is He Worthy? And I want it to be a heart cry, a declaration, a longing, an expressed longing from us to Jesus to return. Because the book, I mean, sorry, the book, the uh, song, Is He Worthy? comes, the language that's from the book of Revelation, which is all about that day when He's going to return. So let me pray for us, and then I'll uh, set up communion, and we're going to sing that song of longing together. Jesus, I um, just want to come to you right now. God, I want to pray for maybe just those three groups of people in the room, or those three responses even that I just walked through. God, I want to pray for the person in the room who does not have peace with you. God, God, if that person is in the room, if those people are in the room, and they don't even realize it, they don't know it, God, would you just even just bring your gracious conviction right now into their hearts and minds that they don't have peace with you, even if they've been coming to church their whole life, 
even if they're a pretty good person, just bring that conviction that because they have not submitted to a relationship with you, Jesus, they don't have peace with God. But God, bring them to salvation right now. I pray that even as they've heard what we've talked about today, they would see that you're beautiful, that you're not a tyrant. You're not trying to make people suffer. You're not trying to lord over people. You are a prince of peace. You are a wonderful counselor. You're amazing. Help them to see that. God, I want to do pray for the people in the room who are just right now are going through really tough times. I'm even just thinking of um, our friends and family in, in different areas who experience flooding and right now could experience it again in the next couple of days. I pray that believers there would have the peace of God overwhelm them right now. That even in the midst of a tough situation, they would feel it. And I pray the same thing for the people in this room. God, I pray that all of us, though, walking out of here today, during the season and forevermore, would be peacemakers. That we would join you in your mission to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But thank you, Jesus, for the fact that we could pray all these things because you first came from heaven to earth to pursue us and to remake the world. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to head into a time of communion. And uh, this is a beautiful time. Actually, it's a proclamation every week that our faith is not about do, it's about done. It's not about things that we need to try harder to do or to get better at. It's ultimately about saying we recognize what Jesus has done by going to the cross on our behalf. And so we have communion stations here at the sides. If you're new with us, this is something we do every week is just a way of responding to God's word, but also just to saying ultimately the thing we most want to commemorate every week in worship is Jesus and his sacrifice and his work on our behalf. And so in the meantime, they'll take maybe a few minutes and just think about what we've talked about today, pray about it. And when you're ready, we'll take communion. And then in a few minutes, we're going to respond, looking ahead to Jesus' coming, his second coming, by singing, is he worthy? Let's spend some time in reflection and thought and communion together. <laughs>